Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men are filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth had also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is a close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray before we get into this together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story, and Lord, we pray that today you would help us to see uh, the reality of this story. Help us to see you in this story. And Lord, help us to apply the message of this scripture to our hearts. Help us to have 
uh, hearts that are ready to receive from you and, and eyes that are open to see Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, let me just give you a little summary of where we're up to in the story so far. Just in case you went with us last week, um, or maybe just to, to jog your memory, if it's an, uh, not particularly a familiar story. Last week, uh, the focus was um, started off with this guy, Elimelech, who was mentioned in the chapter today. Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, they live in Bethlehem. There's a famine in Bethlehem, and so they have to leave Bethlehem. Going, they're looking for life elsewhere. This is a bad idea, the first bad idea of the whole story. Really, Elimelech, they should have stayed where they were, but instead they went to the land of God's enemies, the place of the Moabites, uh, the place where they worshipped a God called Chemosh, a God who demanded the sacrifice of children. It's not a good place to uproot and bring your kids. It would be a little bit like uh, moving from the lovely area of Presswich and going and living in a tent in Piccadilly Gardens. It's just not a great idea. And then uh, the sons of Naomi and Elimelech, they marry two Moabites. Again, not really a good idea. They marry uh, Orpah and Ruth. Hello, here's Ruth, the main character. We're going to find out more about her as we go forward. Elimelech and the sons die. And then so we're left with these three widows, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Uh, Naomi says she's going to go back to Bethlehem. Orpah says she's going to stay in Moab. But Ruth, this was the big changing uh, moment last week. Ruth makes this amazing covenant with Naomi. She says, where you go, I will go. Uh, where you die, I'm going to die. Your God, Naomi, is now my God. And so Ruth and Naomi, they start heading back to Bethlehem. Naomi, very bitter about what has happened. Uh, but Ruth is sticking with her, moving back. And so here we are at chapter two. You can just see these two women, can't you? Back in Bethlehem, uh, both widows, both wearing the clothes of mourning, uh, you know, that they would have been saying to the world around them, we've lost our husbands, we're, we are, we are uh, sad, we are mourning their death. And they are both incredibly vulnerable in uh, this part of history because they have no husband and no sons to provide for them. But the camera almost like zooms in on Ruth. Ruth, who is really becoming the main character of this story. And we start to see how her new faith in Naomi's God, the God of Israel, the one true God, we see how faith in that God is now directing her next steps. And we'll see here in this chapter, as we just read, uh, that those steps are really taking her towards God and towards God's love. And we start to see how God's loving faithfulness, which is displayed here throughout chapter two, is, is really seen in her encounter with Boaz. It's in the beginning of this, this blossoming romance with Boaz that we start to see how God is really going to take care of and provide for Ruth and Naomi. And so today we're going to be thinking about what it means for us as we look to God, as we follow God what it means for us to be looking for real love and what it means to know real love. Now, I'm very aware that for uh, a bunch of us listening to this this morning, uh, I'm sure some of us are single, some of us are dating, some of us are engaged, some of us are married, some of us might be divorced, some of us might be widowed. 
So when it comes to thinking about love, particularly a romantic love, uh, we're all coming from a scattering of different places. But the reality is that we, and I mean we the church, we the Western church in particular, we have a real relationship problem. Uh, in a recent survey done amongst some uh, young evangelical Christians, the, the stats when it comes to uh, relationships are all trending in the wrong direction currently. You know, when it comes to premarital sex and delayed marriage and divorce, the stats are alarmingly high. It seems that young Christians are quick to jump into to bed with someone who isn't their husband or wife. They're slow to commit to, to marriage. And when marriage does come about, sadly, many marriages are ending in divorce. We have a relationship problem on our hands. And, you know, for many of us, we have contributed to those statistics, haven't we? Either currently right now or in our past, we have. What we need to see today is that the life of the Christian is one that is to be constant and faithful in our pursuit of real love. Not buying into the world's version of love, not buying into what the culture says love is. We need to be constant and faithful in the pursuit of real love. So whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, no matter how messy past relationships might be, no matter how messy your current relationships might be, we each need to see again the love that goes way beyond any of that. A love that notices us, a love that truly knows us. And to help us get there, we're going to have a good look at Ruth and Boaz together today. Now, I know this is hard for us to do because when we read something like Ruth, there are so many cultural things in there that it just feels like quite an alien story. But what we need to try and do is get into Ruth's shoes this morning. You know, there are so many cultural things that might feel strange. But the main thing we need to see, at least at the beginning of this story, is that Ruth is desperately vulnerable. She's desperately vulnerable. She doesn't have an income of any sort. Uh, she, as far as she knows, doesn't have anybody in her life who can help her at this point. And she's super undesirable. It's really easy when we read about Ruth and Boaz and this beautiful romance that's blossoming that we imagine Boaz this, as this super attractive, strong-looking man and Ruth as a total babe and they make an amazing Hollywood couple. But that's just not the case when you do a careful reading of the text. Ruth's really undesirable. She's wearing the clothes of mourning. So like I said, she's declaring to the world, I'm a widow, I don't have money, I'm, I'm needy. Uh, it goes not particularly in her favour that she's a two-for-one deal. She has bound herself to her mother-in-law. So any man who might want to take care of her is going to have to look after Naomi as well. And by the way, she's changed her name to Bitter recently. She's not exactly the most fun to be around. And three, she's a Moabite. She's a Moabite amongst Israelites. She is literally one of the enemies of God's people. And so she would look different. She would have sound different. People would have known that she's not an Israelite. She is a particularly undesirable person in Israel. She basically has nothing. But what does she have? Well, we see it right here. She has faith in God. And it is 
real faith is the type of faith that is going to move her to action. Just have a look at verse 2 with me. She says to Naomi, let me go to the field and collect food for us. Now, this isn't just a total random idea that she's come up with, like out off the top of her head. You know, she isn't going begging at the fields, uh, nor is she going to steal some, some local crop from a local farmer. In a very real sense, what we're seeing here is evidence of Ruth's faith and trust and confidence in God. She is trusting that God will provide for her in this way because of what is already written in God's law. So uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, we read there uh, that God has given laws even to uh, the harvesters uh, that concern uh, how to look after and care for the vulnerable. It is, it is a law of grace that God has given to the Israelites saying, live by these laws because in living by these laws, you are reflecting the type of God that I am to the world around you. And so one of the laws in Levit- Leviticus 23, 22 says this, God tells his people, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. So Ruth here is showing evidence of her faith in God by being obedient to God's law. Now, let's not forget what we heard last week. This whole story is taking place in a part of the Bible's history in the days of the judges, which we read is the the time where everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. People were rejecting God and rejecting God's law, and they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so plenty of farmers and landowners were doing exactly that. They weren't living by God's law. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so, you know, it would have been really tempting for Ruth to try and do what was right in her own in her own eyes to try and survive. You know, she, for a start, might have thought, I'll just abandon Naomi. No one else is keeping God's law here. Why should I? So she might have just chose to abandon Naomi. Maybe she would have had a better chance of going out to find herself a husband if she did it her own way. Could have been one of her thoughts. Obviously, she could have sold herself into prostitution even just to get some money and a place to stay and some food, uh, a quick fix. But she doesn't do any of that, does she? She trusts God and she's obedient to God. And there's even more evidence that she is wholeheartedly trusting in God here because she isn't simply looking for food. That's not really what's going on. Did you see what she said she's going to do? In verse two, she says she wants to be noticed. So she said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Favor, this is the word we looked at last week together, hesed, that Hebrew word that Pete was getting us thinking about. It is that attribute of God, which is hard to sum up in one word. It is God's grace. It's God's favor. It is God's loving kindness. It is God's covenantal love. Ultimately, that's what Ruth is going out looking for. She's looking for the covenantal loving kindness of the God in whose faith she has put. Before we get into this romance that's goes on between her and Boaz. Let's just be clear. 
Ruth isn't chasing after a man here. She's not saying, oh, I need a man to fix this situation. She's chasing after God. She is a woman who is confident that God is who he says he is. She has more faith than anyone else in the story up to this point. And she's looking for real love. This is our first point. We need to look for real love. Now, if you're a bit of a gym freak, I'm not going to say any names, but we all know someone in our church who is a gym freak. Uh, If you're a bit of a gym freak, you'll know that the busiest time uh, in any gym is a Saturday morning. That is because you get all these younger guys going into the gym on a Saturday morning. And they want to get jacked up and ready to go out on this Saturday night. Have you ever, you ever noticed that? Like these guys wear these tiny t-shirts trying to make themselves look bigger. They've got their nice fresh haircut. Uh, they smell like they've just downed an entire bottle of aftershave. They want to go out and get noticed, don't they? And the same goes for women. You know, they're wearing very little clothing or smelling like the back room of a lush store. They want to go out and get noticed. In a a strange way, they're going out looking for a a weak version of love when they go out in the town often. They want to be noticed. But as we look at Ruth here, stepping out into this field on this day, her desire is to be seen favourably by someone. And that desire is driven by her trust in God. In fact, everything she does from verse 2 through to verse 7 shows that she is relying on God, not man, to be her rescuer. She's not going out like a lad on the town, doing things her own way to try and get noticed. No, she's simply living in obedience to God. Just have a look at verse seven with me. Uh, After Boaz, this wealthy landowner, has arrived at his field, he asks his foreman, who is that woman over there? You know, pointing at Ruth, who is she? And uh, the foreman reports to him in verse seven, telling telling him what Ruth has said. Uh, He says, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now except for a short rest in the shelter. So here's Ruth. She's come to the field out of obedience to God. She's asked for permission. So she's gone to this this worker and asked, can she do this? And actually what she's doing is she's waited all day long for an answer. Now you might think, well, I thought she was already doing it because of verse three. You know, we do see in verse three, it says that Ruth went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. But that's really just like a summary verse of this whole story. If you read it carefully, you can see that that they're saying this is what happens overall. But here is the details of how it happened. It's quite a a normal way that Old Testament writers uh, used to write narrative. So she's gone. She's asked for permission, saying, please let me glean and gather. And now she stood waiting all day for an answer. Now, presumably, the foreman who was working there hasn't given her permission, the fact that she's waiting all day. Notice in verse 6, he just refers to her as the Moabite from Moab. He doesn't use her name. He, He simply calls her the Moabite. Now, it's likely he doesn't know what to do. You know, his boss, Boaz, clearly already has a bunch of women working in this field. We see that in the text. 
Uh, and does Boaz really want another woman, I mean, least of all, a Moabite working in his field? But none of that puts Ruth off. And we've got to see Ruth's faith here. Because ultimately, she's standing there waiting. She's not out looking for food. She's looking for said. She's looking for someone to show her loving kindness that flows from faith in God. In other words, let's put it more simply, she's looking to work for someone who loves God and who will treat her as God commands. And she's willing to stand in obedience and wait for that in this field this very morning. And she's not going to settle for less. Look at verse three. It just so happens to be a field belonging to Boaz. I love that. It just so happens. More literally, uh, you could read it as her chance chanced upon. Here's the thing. As Ruth is being obedient to God, God is working wonderfully in the background. And as Ruth looks for God's loving kindness, God is bringing it into her life. And he's bringing it specifically here through Boaz. And here's what Ruth is helping us see at this point. Here's what we need to hear as we look for real love. And it's going to be on the screen. Real love starts and ends with God. Real love starts and ends with God. I don't know how many times in my life that I've seen Christians who, uh, in pursuit of romantic love, totally miss this point. You know, the desire to not be single, the desire to have a partner, the desire to have sex outweigh the desire for God. You know, I've had close friends, I've had family members uh, who were seemingly walking with Jesus and then who gave it all up to date a non-Christian in the pursuit of what they see as love. You know, they didn't think that's what they were doing, but that's exactly how it always ends up. They fail to see that real love, true love, love from God, it begins and it ends with God. That's what Boaz notices about Ruth. You know, Boaz responds with such kindness to Ruth. Look at verse 89. He says he gives her a permanent position in his field. He offers protection, saying, I've told my men not to harm you. If anyone hurts you, you come tell me and I'll sort it out. He treats her as one of her workers, inviting her to stay. Verse 14, he invites her over for a meal in the middle of the working day. Verse 16, he tells his men, to give her even more food deliberately to take home for Naomi. And Ruth asks in verse 10, why have I found such favor has said in your eyes that you notice me? And what does Boaz say to her? Verse 12, he says, it's because I know that you have found shelter and refuge under the wings of the God of Israel, the same God who I trust. Boaz notices Ruth and Ruth finds Boaz because both of them 
are starting in a position of taking refuge in God. God is enough for them and that is where they start. And this picture here of of being under the wings, it's like a baby bird that seeks protection from the world under the wings of its mother. And in the same way, Ruth and Boaz have hidden their lives under the wings of a God who knows them and a God who loves them. Their love for one another begins with God. And we can't miss that point this morning. So as we look for real love in our own lives, the question is, are we doing that? You know, as for those of us who are single, as we date, are we doing that? For those of us who, as we are, who are married, are we continuing to do that in our marriage? As we love one another, are we doing that? Is our love flowing from this covenant faithful love of God that we have received from him? The question is, are we practicing real love? And this is our second point, that we need to practice real love. Here's the the challenge for all of us this morning. God has said that is his, his covenantal loving kindness towards us must be shaping our own relationships. You know, when we come to church, when we get together on a Sunday morning and we gather together and we sing about God's great love for us and we read about God's great love for us, it doesn't stop there. Being a member of of a church means that we get to actually practice loving each other well. You know, we get to walk through life together, upholding one another in seasons of difficulty, praying for one another, spurring one another on in love and good deeds. We get to challenge one another in seasons of disobedience, pointing each other to Jesus to keep running the race so that one day we will see him face to face. We get to rejoice with one another in seasons of celebration and thanking God for all that he has done in one another's lives. You know, even you just filling a seat on a Sunday morning is practicing loving one another. You know, if you think that church is saying that you can just come to and stop coming to as you, you know, as you, uh, as you feel one day better, one day worse, one Sunday you might want to go, the next Sunday you just don't feel like it. If that's your attitude towards church, you're totally missing the point. That's not loving other people well. You know, we want to be truly practicing loving one another well. We need to see that real love is obedient. Here it is, the Bible's best short love story, Ruth and Boaz. And have you noticed it begins with the two main characters being faithful in all the small details of their lives. Boaz is a man with a godly reputation. Ruth is a woman with a godly reputation. They both trust God. They're both obedient to God. And now that obedience is shaping their relationship as they meet one another. You know, here's a question to all the single people listening this morning. Are you practicing obedience in your singleness? You know, where, where is your sex drive right now? 
Where are you investing your sex drive? Are you investing it over in the field of pornography like so many others? Are you investing it in the field of one night stands? Or are you seeking to be like Ruth? You're found in the field of obedience, waiting patiently on God. Or here's a question to the engaged people listening this morning. Are you practicing obedience as you head towards marriage? You know, are you loving your future spouse now like a brother or sister in preparation for soon loving them like a husband or wife? Here's a question to the married people. Are you practicing loving your spouse in the way that God loves you? Are you being obedient to the call of being a godly wife or a godly husband? And I don't simply mean, are you living well with your husband or wife? I mean, truly, are you loving them well? Husbands, when was the last time we practiced loving our wives well? You know, when was the last time we embodied something of God's has said that his covenantal loving kindness in our love towards our wives? When was the last time we reminded our wife that she is our bride, that she is our love, that she is precious to us? We can get so good at practicing other things. We get good at practicing getting better at our jobs. We get good at practicing being better dads. We get good at practicing getting better at our hobbies. But we forget to practice getting better at loving our wives well. You know, listen, restaurants are soon to be opening again, aren't they? Take your wife on a date. Remind her that she is your love. Buy her flowers if that's her thing. Buy her a bottle of gin if that's her thing. Be present at the dinner table. Be engaged. Listen to her. Open the Bible and, as Paul says, wash her with the word. This is all a part of obedience to to God because... True love, real love, is obedient. Obedience to God must shape our relationships. And as it does, like Ruth and Boaz, we will see our relationships thrive. We need to see that real love starts and ends with God. We need to see that real love is obedient. And we need to see that real love is found in Christ. That's how we encounter real love. This is our third and final point. We need to encounter real love together. You know, when Ruth returned home after this crazy day in Boaz's field, she went out in the morning not knowing what to to expect except that she was trusting God. And she comes back home. Notice that Naomi didn't go with her. Notice that Naomi at the end of this passage says to Ruth, you, you've got to be careful not to stray out of Boaz's field because you might come to harm elsewhere. Why didn't she say that at the beginning? Why didn't she go with Ruth? Could it be that Naomi was lacking faith in God that morning? But here, what happens, Ruth returns home with an abundance of barley. Actually, it is... If you look in your footnotes, you'll see it's 13 kilograms of barley, which, by the way, is a crazy amount to, tr- to carry on her way home. So 
Ruth was one strong lady. Uh, but verse 17 says she carried that home. She comes home to Naomi in verse 20 and tells her, tells Naomi that I've been working all day in the field of this man called Boaz. And Naomi says, verse 20, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness. Any guesses what that word there is? His said to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, we're going to look a lot more about what that means next week for Boaz to be a guardian redeemer. But basically, it means that Boaz is in uh, a position where he and he alone can help Naomi and Ruth. So here is this man, Boaz, who was pouring out has said on his enemies, this Moabite, who is coming to his field on her knees asking for help. And he alone is in a position to be able to save her. Who does that sound a bit like? Whose field is it that you and I enter as enemies, but he makes us friends? Who is the one who provides for our spiritual hunger in total abundance? Who is it who dedicates his life to protecting us from danger? Who is it that it is worth standing and waiting upon? It isn't Boaz. His name is Jesus. The one whose said was poured out for us at the cross the God of covenantal promise, the one who promises to never leave us, to never abandon us, the one who accepts us in as enemies and at his table, he makes us his friend. It is in Christ and in Christ alone that we get to encounter real love. Here's the reality. As we consider what has said means and how we embody that in our own relationships, The reality is all of us have failed. All of us have failed in our relationships with friends. All of us have failed in our relationships with girlfriends, boyfriends, fiancés, husbands, wives. We know what it's like to, to be unfaithful, to not show true covenantal love that we're called to as Christians. That's why we can be so thankful for what Jesus has done for us. He is the one who truly has kept the covenant of love. He is the one who went to the cross for sinners like us, who went to the cross to bear our sin, to take our shame, so that we could receive an abundance of grace. Boaz is a wonderful picture of Jesus here. And we are a picture of Ruth if we put our trust in God. It doesn't necessarily mean that as we put our faith in Jesus that our lives will become easier. If you're single, it doesn't mean that if you put your faith in God, you're suddenly going to find your own Boaz, your happily ever after in marriage. But what will you find? Well, like Ruth, you will find refuge in the God who has said for you, who loves you with an unfailing love. 
Won't you turn to him today, put your trust in him and know his love for you? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your son so that we could be truly loved. Father, we thank you for this story of Ruth that shows us what faithfulness looks like. We thank you for the character of Boaz who shows us uh, something of what Christ is like. And Father, thank you that we can know you truly today because of what you have done for us through sending your son to die on a cross for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.